Welcome to Out on a Limb, where traditional finance and the new digital economy converge with a sense of history. My name is Tim Enneking, and this is episode 26. Today is March 8th, 2023, and it is roughly 3.30 in beautiful San Diego. Uh, three topics to discuss today. Uh, the, the first is weird world. The second is even weirder world. And the third is Silvergate. So back to the first, a weir- weird world in, uh, if you think in crypto terms anyway, because uh, the uh, chairman of the FOMC, the Federal Open Market Committee, uh, Jerome Powell, his testimony was carried live today on Coindesk. And I watched this and I thought to myself, this is one of the craziest things I have ever seen because even as recently as two years ago, certainly three years ago, the average uh, crypto geek would not have had any idea who Jerome Powell was. Well, at that point in time, he wasn't in his position, but but uh, who the uh, chairman of the FOMC was, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, what the FOMC was, and what on God's green earth its relationship could be to crypto. And here you are two or three years later, and literally the man's testimony is carried live. Uh, One of the interesting things, most important things he said yesterday, not today, he testified to the Senate yesterday and to the House today, was we don't want to stifle innovation. And he said that in the context of crypto. At the same time, he sort of alluded to the third point of today's podcast, and that is he wanted to caution fiat, or he did caution fiat financial institutions uh, from getting too deeply involved in crypto. And believe me, he was thinking of Silvergate when he said that. But more importantly, doesn't want to stifle innovation. I was thinking of that. I thought to myself, Jerome Powell should really introduce himself to Gary Gensler at the SEC and tell him the same thing. But we discussed discussed, uh, such things as regulation by enforcement earlier. I'm not going to repeat all of that today. Second topic, even weirder, the two markets, crypto and fiat. And the fiat side, it's the east coast of the U.S., the market's there. So, And I generally use the S&P. Uh, I follow that for other reasons. So I generally track uh, crypto and the markets in general, the S&P. They moved in perfect, crazy sync yesterday. And Powell would say something that was that was hawkish. Hawkish means, of course, that interest rates will increase more quickly. Or in this context, since everybody is counting on a 25 basis point increase on March 23rd, and that was actually something I predicted way back in early February when I was wrong with my 25% or 50% basis point, sorry, 50 basis point increase in February and it was only 25 uh, the, everyone is counting on a 25 basis point increase in March, but now because of slightly warm, certainly not hot, but slightly warm employment numbers, the number of open jobs went down, but not very much. And because inflation ticked up a little bit in February, now everyone is going, oh my God, it's going to be 50 basis points in March. And Citibank is actually pricing that in as more likely than 25. Not everyone is. Uh, So every time a hawkish statement would come out, because Powell effectively said yesterday, he goes, all right, we're going to we're going to increase interest rates. We may have to increase interest rates to more than our initial target, which is 5.1. So now 
people are looking to five and a half, six. And that's really what I called for early in February. And he also indicated that we might increase faster. And this would be interesting. And I, the Fed really doesn't want to do this because it would be admitting that I was right and they were wrong in February. If the Fed has to go to a 50, uh, 50 basis point increase in March, it would have done a 50 or a 75 in November, a 50 in December, a 25 in January, February, and then again up to 50 in March. And the only way you can justify that is saying, hey, we screwed up in February. We should have done 50. Personally, I think they did screw up in February and they should have done 50. But I don't see the Fed backpedaling unless some numbers that are really negative come in. What I see instead, in addition to the 25 in, in March, six weeks later is early May, the 25 that I'm already calling for, I have, I've been calling for for a month and a half now, I could see then another six weeks, you'll have a late June meeting. I could see June also being a 25 basis point increase. I would be surprised if there's a, if there's a, a 50 and um, there's not really, uh, unless there's something dramatic, I, I just don't see a, a real motivation for, for that to happen. So yesterday you had the, uh, the fiat markets get killed. S and, uh, crypto markets also went down. Same thing, a little bit larger percentage, but not much, not much at all, actually. And then recover a bit overnight. And then today, when the when Powell spoke in front of the House, he was a little bit more circumspect. He spoke about he emphasized that the the interest rate increase, if there would be one, a wink and a nod. Uh, if there would be one in March, it hasn't been decided yet. So maybe the, what he's saying is maybe there'll be a 25, and we certainly haven't decided on a 50. Viewed as a little bit more dovish, and so you look at what happened to the S&P today after starting out down and then, uh, and then sorry, starting a little bit up, going down, going up again. It went below uh, break even four times before 1 p.m., then went down below uh, you know, it's closed from yesterday, did a couple of ups and downs there, and then finally closed up 14 basis points. Just a ridiculous session. Uh, Bitcoin fiat were no better, also moving up, down, up, down, uh, the, or Bitcoin and Ethereum, rather. Uh, BTC was slightly up until the latest news hit. So what you have is under even weirder, the second point is you have fiat and crypto really moving in lockstep, even though overall, as I mentioned before, uh, correlation has dropped. Then you have the big news for crypto of the day. And that is that the parent company of Silvergate Bank announced that Silvergate is going to liquidate. And this is worth spending a little bit of time on because Silvergate was really uh, an important cog in the wheel of crypto finance. It was an on, or off, on and off ramp or a portal for a lot of different crypto projects. But the thing that's most important to understand about Silvergate shutting down is that it did nothing wrong. What happened with Silvergate is it ran into a liquidity problem that was simply related to its clients needing money. So you have all of 2022 where crypto goes down and during all of 2022, its clients are pulling back funds. Now there's an interesting issue here because uh, 
Silvergate was operating as a completely in a completely regulatory manner. There are no issues that it was doing anything irregular, much less illegal. And it was buying, it was taking the the funds that were deposited by crypto projects and buying bonds with them, uh, as it's supposed to. So it had a good good amount of capital. When its clients relatively relatively quickly in 2022 started reducing their deposits, it had a problem because it couldn't sell a lot of bonds right away and because it would flood the market and drive the price down. But there was another problem that's actually much more interesting. If you look at 2021, when Silvergate was riding high and taking in all sorts of crypto deposits, what it was doing was paying very little, but it was buying bonds and regular U.S. bonds. And some of those bonds it marked to market, classified as marked to market, and some of those bonds it classified as hold to maturity. So it didn't change the price as interest rates went up. So simultaneously what happens is crypto clients start pulling money out and uh, Silvergate has to sell bonds to cover it. The problem is in the meantime, in 2022, of course, while the crypto market is plunging and fiat markets are going down, the, uh, the level of interest rates is skyrocketing. So as bonds work, the higher the interest rate, the lower the price, mainly because if you have a, five, if you have a 2% bond, you'll pay, very simplified slightly, 98 cents for it, and in a year it'll be worth a dollar. If it's a, a 5% bond, you'll pay 95 cents for it because in a year it'll be worth the same, the same dollar. It's considerably more complicated than that, but that's a, a good entry into entry point into how bonds work. And so what happened is that Silvergate bought all these bonds, billions of dollars, single digit billions of bonds. It marked about, it marked most of them to market, but about a billion, just under a billion worth, it did not mark to market. It was hold to maturity. Because if you hold bonds to maturity, you buy them, they're paying you 2%. If you hold them to maturity, even if interest rates go up to 5%, unless the bond issuer defaults, you're going to continue to get the same amount of money every quarter or every six months. Still called clipping coupons, although people haven't done that in, in decades. Anyway, all of the, the capital that Silvergate had in bonds started losing its value, getting marked down. So you had a situation that was a result of poor liquidity that turned, that turned into a problem involving insolvency. And if you recall, we spoke about this a couple of episodes ago and what the difference between a liquidity problem is and a solvency problem. Here you had a liquidity problem. So Silvergate actually borrowed billions of dollars from a California bank board, which is set up exactly for this kind of liquidity problem. Because banks borrow money, or sorry, they receive deposits, and uh, they, they're almost borrowing from their depositors, if you will, and they're paying a certain amount of interest. They need to earn more interest. That's their margin. That's how they make money. So they, uh, they invest that money in longer-term assets. It may be a loan to somebody else, or it may be buying bonds that have a fixed maturity, whatever it happens, whatever it happens to be. And... Silvergate did this all correctly. Only what they didn't manage was the 
the value of those bonds as interest rates went up. And you can, uh, I'm not sure what their risk management procedures are, but clearly they got stuck like a deer in the headlights and just held on to these bonds. So as a result of that, they went to the California bank board and said, hey, we have a liquidity problem. We have a lot of people pulling out their deposits. We got all kinds of money here, but it's invested in bonds that we can't sell really quickly or crash the market and we'll get a lot less money. So they borrowed, I think it was like four billion, four to five billion dollars. But then its depositors continued to pull out money. And then you run into the ironic problem, which is if nobody knows there's a Silvergate problem, nobody pulls out their money and there's not a problem. If people think there's a Silvergate problem, everyone pulls out their money. And even though there wasn't a problem, they create one. And here you had sort of a hybrid situation. There was certainly, there was certainly a liquidity issue with Silvergate. And, and that was caused completely by uh, crypto depositors pulling their deposits. And Silvergate didn't do anything anything untoward in terms of where it was investing the money that the depositors had given it. But then the illiquidity problem or the liquidity problem gets so serious that it starts to push up against a solvency problem. And the moment any word of the sol- of a solvency problem comes out, and in this case it got out with some delayed filings, Silvergate simply said it couldn't fi- file some of its annual and quarterly reports on time, then a trickle became a flood. Everyone became concerned about Silvergate being insolvent, not being illiquid. And whether it was insolvent or not, we'll probably never know the exact date or time, but it it was close, certainly. And as soon as that word got out, it became insolvent, end of story. And a couple days ago, the FDIC, uh, the bank insurers, we're meeting with Silvergate to see if there's any way for it to recover. And the answer was obviously, no, there's not. Uh, the federal government is not going to bail out Silvergate in this case. And Silvergate decides to shut down. So then as soon as that news hits, you have, let's see, BTC was just above 22,000, uh, 22.2, let's say. It's now at 21.5. So you, it lopped four, call it 4% from, from peak to trough. It lost four, lopped. 4% off the value of BTC immediately, and ETH was even worse. It was about 1560, and its bottom was 1524. Now, so it's about, it's uh, actually a little less in terms of percentages. So uh, it definitely hurt, but most, most companies had pulled their money out of Silvergate, and the shutdown will be very orderly. No one will lose money in this process. Interesting the contrast contrast that with Celsius. Celsius pooled money and so the and we've talked about this before, the individual depositors in Celsius are not individual creditors because the money was pooled. At Silvergate, of course, it's a bank. So the individual depositors didn't have their money pooled. They have, you know, uh, they have uh, their individual creditors, they're not pooled creditors, they're secured creditors and it's a federally insured bank, so uh, except for certain limits where, where some maximums are exceeded and usually that the maximums are waived. Anyway, uh, pretty much everyone, if not everyone, will get all of their money back out of, out of Silvergate. And I suspect the larger depositors had already, had already withdrawn. So you, you see then why Powell, who was certainly informed of this uh, yesterday, uh, warned financial institutions, didn't try to prohibit them, but warn them to be careful going into the crypto space. 
continues a little bit. J.P. Morgan said today that it's terminated its relationship with Gemini. It refused to comment on the, the Coindesk article. Gemini responded and said, no, 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 they haven't refused. They haven't refused at all. We still have a good relationship with J.P. Morgan, uh, but the, the press release stands. So in all likelihood, uh, Gemini doesn't have that banking relationship anymore. It has a lot of other very good banking relationships. Gemini does, that is, including with State Street. So there's no real concern about Gemini. But you can see the knock-on effect of, of something like Silvergate, even though I emphasize again Silvergate had too much exposure to the crypto space, but it did nothing wrong as a bank. Arguably, in hindsight, you could say, oh, you should have managed your, your bond risk separately and I don't, or better. And I don't think anyone would argue with that. But it was not something that was, was brought on by something inherent in or specific to the crypto space. And with that, uh, that's, our, that's episode 26. I hope you all have a good week and we'll speak again next Tuesday. Take care.